So let's jump right in. Uh, but do you have any married people in the room? Come on. It's a lot. Uh, so as married people, you guys know, right, the, the journey of a relationship, you're dating, it's all fun and butterflies, and you get married, and then you realize, right, your spouse doesn't brush their teeth, and they don't put their clothes away, and like, man, this is not what I expected. Like, they're clean all the time, but we're married, and man, their underwear is just like chilling on my chair. What's going on? And as you guys get married, like, you start to see, like, the reality of a relationship, right? Like, outside of just, like, the date nights. And I think what's so important to see is that the goal of a relationship isn't just to fall in love, but to learn how to stay in love. And I think in the same way in a relationship with Jesus that we teach people how to fall in love with Jesus and have boom and an encounter and have a, a beautiful moment, but we don't teach people how to steward and how to stay in love with Jesus, right? That we want the fire of God, but we don't know how to steward and keep the flame going. And so I think in the church, we've, we've almost created environments around this where let's just create an environment, let's create conferences, let's create schools around getting on fire, but we don't create environments around staying on fire. I don't know if you guys know this, but the beauty of preaching is to instill culture into a church. And so every Sunday when I'm up here preaching, right, I'm not here just to, to give you guys a revelation that I think it's cool or to unpack a verse that, you know, is my life verse. Like we're here building a culture. And so whatever we're releasing here, we're saying, guys, this is what you get to grow into and be a part of, to be a kingdom person. And so this is, I believe this message is, is just that. I believe this is a, a message that just it's going to mark the culture of breakthrough is that we don't want to see people having amazing encounters and then burning out after, after two months, after two years, that we want to actually create an environment where people can come and get set on fire, but then they learn how to actually steward that fire. Amen? All right. So let's jump into Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Does anyone have their physical Bibles? Come on. No one does. All right. We'll sell some Bibles in the back. Um, but Matthew 25, verse 1 to 13. I'm just joking, guys. Don't get offended. Um, Matthew 25. Uh, let's read this parable by Jesus. He says this, okay? Stick with me. It's 13 verses. He says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's, he's giving a parable to reflect what the kingdom is like. It'll be like 10 virgins or bridesmaids, okay, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all of the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The, the, the bridesmaids or the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. I know this passage, like some of Jesus' parables are pretty straight up. This is one of those passages where you're like, what is going on here? 
Why is there lambs? Why are there virgins? What's going on, right? And you're just reading this, and you're like, Jesus, what are you trying to say? And I know this, this, this passage has been on my heart for months, and uh, through studying it, I feel like there's just something really, really important here uh, that Jesus is trying to say to us. But to give you guys some context, okay, in, in the past uh, uh, prior chapters leading into this one, Jesus is te- teaching about the end of the age and about his return. Okay, do you guys know Jesus is going to return? All right, he's teaching about his return. And one of the themes running throughout these parables is that the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. He's gonna come at a day and a time that no one will know. So he's saying that in the waiting as followers of Jesus, we need to be ready at all times. Right? Paul says that he's coming, the bridegroom is coming to receive a blameless and spotless bride. And so in this parable, as you guys are, as we're reading this, okay, the bridesmaids are waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom, which is Jesus, okay, which uh, uh, shows us in this story that there's a difference between the two groups. There's the wise bridesmaids and the unwise bridesmaids, okay? And you look at this, you're like, what's the, the difference, right? They, they both have lamps. They both have some oil. Uh, they both fall asleep. They're both waiting. What is the difference between the wise ones and the unwise ones? In verse 6, okay, we see the bridegroom finally arrives. They wake up, they light their lamps, but the unwise ones did not have enough oil to welcome and honor his arrival. Then verse 8, they ask the others for oil, okay, which we see here, they say, no, you can't have my oil, there's not enough. So we see that this oil, this resource is not something you can just get from someone else. And in verse 9, they say that, Go and buy yourself some oil, okay? So we see that this oil is something that's going to cost you something. You guys tracking? Something that's going to cost you something. And so we see this, this theme, this, this resource, this, this thing that is separating the unwise and the wise people who are waiting for Jesus' arrival. And the difference is the one that stewarded and prepared and cultivated enough oil for his arrival, and so what is this oil that Jesus is talking about? In verse 12, he shows us. So they, they arrive after getting some oil. They say, Lord, Lord, open the door. But he replied, truly, I don't know you. So the ones that didn't have enough oil, the bridegroom says, I don't know you. So the ones who had oil, he knew, which means that the oil represents intimacy with Jesus. The oil represents deep relationship and knowing and intimacy with Jesus. And we also see this biblically because uh, the anointing or the smearing of oil, guys, know what that, that word is? That's not a charismatic word, okay? Anointing, it's a biblical word. But the anointing is when you would smear oil, okay? In the Old Testament, we see that in the New Testament. And whenever someone was anointed, right, the Holy Spirit would come upon them uh, in Scripture, Uh, We see that kings, priests, prophets were anointed outwardly to symbolize a profound spiritual reality that God's presence was with them and his favor was upon them. When David was anointed as king with oil marking him, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Jesus says that the Spirit is upon him and anointed him, right? He was smeared with oil to proclaim the good news to the captives. In 1 John 2.20, it also says this, that you have an anointing, from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth, okay? 
So because we have the Holy Spirit, we can intimately know his presence, and his presence is the source of the oil. That the goal is to prioritize the oil of intimacy with Jesus. And so today's message is called Seek Oil, Not Fire. That oil is what's going to actually allow you to sustain the fire. Because here's the thing, guys. You can go to a conference, and you can catch someone else's fire, right? Like, you get two torches, get a match, put on their fire. That thing can get on fire. But who knows that at some point when you don't have the conferences, you don't have the people around you to help steward that flame, if you don't know how to cultivate your own oil, your own intimacy, you're not going to be able to keep that flame going by yourself. Does that make sense? Like, we can, we can go to all the ministry schools in the world. We can hit up Bethel. We can hit YWAM. We can hit all the ministry schools in the world, which is amazing. But at the end of the day, we have to learn how to cultivate it for ourselves. This is what Jesus is highlighting. He said, you have the lamps, right? You, you have the thing that can shine. You have the ministry. But if you don't have the oil to cultivate it, it's going to burn out. You're going to burn out. We see this again in, in Matthew 7. If you guys want to go there, Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of the Father to know Jesus? Verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy your name? And in your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. That Jesus says that you can prophesy, you can cast out demons, you can perform miracles, yet never know him intimately. That's crazy. I don't know if you guys knew this, but Judas probably did those things. He's around Jesus. Jesus sent out his disciples. He gave them authority to speak in new tongues, to, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. Judas was a part of that crew. He probably did these things. Because you can catch someone else's fire, right? You can catch someone else's fire, but you can't get someone else's oil. And so you can, you can do all these things. You can do all these miracles, which we believe, right? I'm a tongue speaker. Come on. right? I speak in tongues. I believe the Lord... Give, has given us the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, but at the end of the day, that does not equal intimacy with Jesus. <laughs> your ministry, the fruit of your ministry, doesn't necessarily equal intimacy with Jesus. We've seen this. We've seen high-level leaders, global ministries. Like, you would think, man, there's fruit, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's intimacy with Jesus. And so, guys, our whole purpose and existence is to intimately know and be known by God, that we gain oil by being around Jesus. Right? We bear fruit by abiding. Right? Jesus gives us this, this picture in John, that apart from me, apart from, from me, you cannot bear fruit. <laughs> and so if we want to get oil, we have to be around him. In Matthew 22, 36 to 38, I love this passage. Uh, this is definitely a cornerstone of our church. But Jesus has asked this, and I want to just give us a second to take a deep breath. I want us to frame this. Sometimes when we read scripture, we forget God is speaking, right? We're just reading, like, that's a cool story. We, we, we get disconnected from the reality. Wait, God is actually saying something to humanity in this moment. So 
Jesus, God, is asked, out of everything we can ever do in the entire world, what is the most important thing? That would be a pretty important question, right? God, what is the most important thing I could ever do in my life? This is what he's asked. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? You think Jesus would say, lead 100 million people to salvation, lead crusades, cast out demons, have a big ministry and a big platform, do all these things, but he says, very simply, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and this is the first and greatest, say first and greatest, commandment. If it's the first, it's the first. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you guys notice that the one thing we're asked to do is oftentimes the one thing we don't do? (laughs) The one thing that Jesus is like, hey, if you do this one thing, you fulfill every law, every prophecy, If you learn how to actually love God and be intimate with God, you're not going to kill someone, right? Right? You're not going to commit adultery. You're, you're, You're not going to worship idols. If you do this one thing, if your heart is is connected to Him, then you fulfill all the other laws. But the one thing that we're commanded to do that God is like, this is what I I want you to do, not because he's insecure and needs you to love him, to feel good about himself, but he knows that when you step into this, you step into your design. (laughs) That when you learn to love God, you enter into connection, right? You enter into a cod, right? Which is the picture that we see in Genesis of marriage where two become one, that you become one with each other. That he is in you and you are in him. That when you love him, you learn how to become one with him. And I think the reason why the one thing we're told to do and commanded to do, we don't do, is because your flesh hates it. Your flesh hates it because in proximity to Jesus is where your flesh dies. And so your flesh is going to do everything to tell you not to do the one thing you're told to do. Oh, don't do that. That's just religious. You don't, you don't need to spend time with God. Like, you, you're good. You had an encounter at Gen Z for Jesus, right? You, you, you don't need to, to prioritize intimacy and connection because you, you know the Bible really well in and out. That your flesh is going to continue to make excuses and make reasons why this is not the first and greatest. Guys, let me tell you, that's the flesh, <laughs> Jesus is never going to be like, hey, isolate yourself for two years from me so you can learn a lesson. That's not God. How do you know if it's God's will? Is it going to bring you closer to him or not? Doesn't mean you're not going to be refined and challenged and tested. But is this going to actually bring me closer to him or not? I think oftentimes we read this verse in in almost like a burdensome lens. We're like, man, like, gotta love God with all of our heart. Like, it, like, we literally read it as like a law. I don't know about you, at least for me, it's like, you almost read it like it's like a, you know, in preschool, you have like the 10 rules in the classroom, right? Like, don't like stab your friend with a pencil. Uh, that's not a rule, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we see like it's just like blank rule, like do this, if not, you're a horrible Christian. But that's, that's not what Jesus is showing us. It's actually the opposite. 
Because this command is actually an invitation to deep intimacy with him. That this command is actually an invitation to discover real, true peace, joy, and fulfillment. Because in the presence of God is the fullness of what? Joy. At his right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. Your flesh wants to keep you from the one thing that's actually going to heal you. And so in 1 John 4.19, it says this, that we love because he first loved us. Just let that sit for a second. We love because he first loved us. Do you guys see this? So it's him loving us first, and from that we can love him back. Do you guys know that it takes two people to be intimate? Hopefully you guys knew that. It takes two people to be intimate. Intimacy is a two-way street. Can I, can I give some hard truth real quick? All right, just to Michael, it's okay. Michael, this is for you, brother. If you struggle with intimacy with Jesus, it's because one person stopped loving. If there isn't intimacy in your relationship, one person stopped loving. And who knows, God never stops loving you. Which means you're the one that stopped loving. If there is not intimacy in your relationship with Jesus, is your heart has got disconnected from the fact that, wait, the first and greatest thing I can ever do is actually to love him back. If you don't have intimacy, it's probably, probably because you're only on the receiving end and you never love him back. Imagine the health of a marriage if only one person does the loving. Like you can have the best husband in the world who's sacrificing and loving and being compassionate and serving. But if the other person in the relationship is just like, okay, whatever you want to do goes. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to be independent. I'm just going to do whatever I want. The other person is trying to lavish love, but they're just not receiving it. Even though the person is an incredible lover, there's no intimacy. All right, you'll get that tomorrow. The guys that we want the fire, we want the energy, we want the salvations, we want a move of God, but none of that can be sustained outside of the oil of intimacy. That if we want to actually steward and sustain a move of God, we need intimacy as the foundation. The Lord spoke to me one night, and he just gave me this picture. He said, Andrew, servitude is just made out of sacrifice. And lust is just made out of affection. But perfect love is the perfect combination of affection and sacrifice. That this is the type of love that God gives us. That his love isn't just agape, sacrificial, but his love is also affectionate. The love that we give back to God, come on, isn't just sacrificial love. God, I'm going to serve in kids' church every Sunday, which we need. Come on. But if our heart isn't done, our obedience isn't done out of a place of affection for Jesus, then it's just servitude. If we're just here, man, I just want, I just want affection. I just want affection from Jesus. But there's no fruit. There's no action out of your love. And it's just lust. 
But perfect love is a combination of affection and sacrifice. That intimacy is an overflow of love. That this is the love that God shows towards us. And this is also the love that we get to show towards God. That we love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. There's a story in the 1940s. I've shared this story before. But in the 1940s, this is during World War II, there was a psychoanalyst named Renee Spitz, and he studied children in orphanages, right? There's the war, all these kids got displaced, they had this orphanage, and he went and studied children that were living in these orphanages. That he saw a high infant death rate, one out of three guys, one out of three infants died. And among the babies who didn't die, high percentages of, of them had cognitive, behavioral, and psychological dysfunction. What's interesting is that most of these deaths were not due to starvation, it was not due to disease, but it was due to severe emotional and sensual deprivation. In other words, they died because of a lack of affection and a lack of love. These babies were fed, they were medically treated, but they were absolutely deprived of the important stimulation, especially touch and affection. Like guys, and it says here, this is, this is not even from a Christian article. It says this, the importance of human touch and affection is fundamental for human development and survival. That if affectionate love is fundamental for human development, how much more is God's affectionate love fundamental for our spiritual development? Because we, we talk about God's love, we preach God's love, but we have to have the full picture of it. And I know for guys, maybe, some guys, I know some guys are more emotional than girls, but for some guys, we don't know how to be affectionate. It's like weird. Maybe your, your family didn't show that. Maybe your, your heart got closed because something in the past. But we see here that affection, not only just you, but understanding God's affectionate love for you is actually what's going to be crucial to your spiritual development. Mike Bickle, he says that affection-based obedience is far stronger than duty-based obedience. That when we, love, when we learn this, when we come into contact with God in this way, guys, this is when intimacy becomes birth. This is when oil starts to get filled in your lamps. We had this moment yesterday at prayer room. Who was at prayer room? So good. But this moment halfway through the set where something just shifted in the room. And our, our heart for an hour, we're just, we're just loving on Jesus. We're just exalting Jesus. We're honoring Jesus for just an hour. Halfway through the set, something just shifted where it's like, oh my gosh. You remember this? You guys were there? Something shifted and it was just like, God is so close. And not even just like in proximity, but like, it was like almost romantic. This, sounds, this might sound swirly. But it's almost like this, this, this romantic intimacy with Jesus. I don't know if you guys know this, but you're the bride of Christ. God, God wants to woo you. God wants to be intimate with you. And something shifted. I remember those of us who were leading the set, we just sat there and we're just like, oh my gosh, I feel like all like stress, just gone. I feel so at peace. Like it was, it was very supernatural. It was amazing. But this is, this is the place that you guys start to heal. <laughs> this is the place, this, this intimacy that you learn to, to, to cultivate with the Lord is when your heart starts to heal from heartbreak. Yeah. 
is when you start to, to remove yourself from trauma. Is this is the place where you learn how to actually have healthy relationships. That we have to cultivate this oil of intimacy. And so I'm going to close in John chapter 12, 2 to 3. It says this, so they prepared a dinner for Jesus there. Martha was serving, and Lazarus has, was among those present at the table with him. Then Mary took three quarters of a pound of expensive aromatic oil from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. She then wiped his feet dry with her hair. Now the house was filled with the fragrance of perfumed oil. How powerful is that the culmination of this person's life is the fulfillment of the great commandment. That her moment, this one moment, marked history. Jesus says that you will be known wherever the gospel is preached because of this moment. That she's known by how she loved Jesus. How, how incredible would that be is that your life is known by how you love Jesus. Like, not just people, I think people just say that. If you're a good Christian, you love Jesus. Like, I think everyone just says that. You're, you're, you love Jesus. This person loves Jesus. But what would it actually look like for your life and the way you love Jesus, your intimacy with Jesus, for people to know that for generations? <laughs> oh, my gosh. The way my grandmother, the way my grandfather loves Jesus and was so close with Jesus and was so intimate with Jesus, that trickled down our bloodline because of Grandma. I can know Jesus in that way. Guys, this is generational impact. This isn't just for you. And that's the picture of the lamp. The light isn't just for you. The oil isn't just for you, for your children. It's for your neighbors. It's for Lynchburg. It's for Liberty, for Lynchburg College. It's for people that don't know him. Right? Jesus says, let your light shine before men. That ministry is an overflow of the oil that you cultivate. And so we see here that this oil, again, represents adoration, intimacy, value without regard to cost. The fragrance from the oil, listen to this, the fragrance, so the oil represents intimacy, and the fragrance, it says, fill the house, the fragrance represents worship. That worship is now in response, right? It's the fragrance that comes out of intimacy with Jesus. So when we worship God, whether through song, whether through life, whether through prayer, when we worship God, it now is a fragrance that is released from the intimacy that you cultivate. As I was reading this story, I know we've all read this like a million times, that we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. We've been given oil we also get to pour oil back on him. We get to pour out the source of intimacy back on him. And we get to say, Jesus, I'm just going to pour it out on your feet. This oil that I've cultivated, it's, it's a gift. It's something that I get to release back to you, that, that the oil isn't just for you. It isn't just for your family. It's also to give back to him. So guys, if you only seek fire, you will burn for a little bit. But if you consistently seek oil, you will burn for a long time. That intimacy requires consistency. If you're married, you know this. Intimacy requires consistency. Set a place and a time to be with him. I don't mean my wife. We have a kid. 
We're, we're close all day. We hang out all day. I work from home, right? But we have to set a time and a date without our son, without talking about ministry, without working to focus on intimacy, to focus on each other. Let's go on a date. Let's walk around downtown. Let's just focus on our connection. The same way with Jesus, we have to do that. We have to prioritize seeking the oil. Set a date and a time. And I just want to release this. I know for some people might struggle with spending time with the Lord. Might say that we're busy. But just to release you, quality time is better than quantity time. That's not about how long you're with Jesus, how many times you spend with Jesus, but it's about quality time, not quantity time. That if I'm spending, going on date nights with my, my, my wife every single night, but it's not quality time, if I'm disconnected the whole time, I'm not pressing in, I'm not intentional, I'm not asking her about her life, I'm not loving on her. If we do that 10, you know, every night of the, of the month, but we don't prioritize that, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> so quality time over quantity time. So I'm going to end here. Mike Bickle, he says this quote. It says, there are workers and there are lovers and the lovers will always get more work done than the workers. So if you guys want to stand, we're going to close and pray for you guys. How beautiful is it when Jesus returns? Maybe it's in our lifetime, maybe not. But he returns with a bride that has been ready. But I don't want Jesus to return and you not even recognize him, or him not even recognize you. That when we step into eternity, we don't start a relationship. We continue what we built here on earth. And I don't want to get into heaven. I don't want you to get into heaven as a stranger. I don't want you to get into heaven as someone who has no history with God. That you get to live your life and say, man, I got a head start on earth that I cultivated for years, what now I got to cultivate for eternity, whereas others are stepping in being, who are you? <laughs> this is what you're actually like. I missed out all my life on what you're actually like. And so Jesus, I pray that right now you would just, this would just be a Kairos moment. This would just be a dis distinct moment in people's lives.